Welcome to Pocket Economics, a guide to changing lives. It's our podcast about the ideas which are shaping the EBRD regions and beyond. I'm Jonathan Charles, and today we're discussing life satisfaction. What makes us happy? How do we measure it? What is the correlation between economic growth and life satisfaction? Our chief economist, Sergei Guriev, is here to discuss the findings of our Life in Transition survey, the largest of its kind in the EBRD regions, a massive household survey. It's highlighted some good news. It shows that compared to 2006 and 2010, satisfaction levels have increased and are converging with more prosperous Western European countries. Sergei, welcome. Why have we conducted such a detailed survey on life satisfaction? I mean, measuring feelings can be very subjective. How do you do that? What are, what are the main areas you're looking at? Uh, exactly. This is this is a very important survey for us uh, because, uh, indeed, while life satisfaction and other beliefs and attitudes are subjective, they eventually determine how people vote, how they act, and therefore determine the uh, politicians' support or resistance to reforms. And in that sense, we want to understand whether people approve of certain uh, areas of economic policy, economic well-being, and whether people support further uh, economic and political reforms. Now, we look at in this survey, and you looked at uh, 51,000 households in 34 countries. That must be one of the world largest surveys in the world of, it, of its type. But do you think satisfaction is the same for people in different parts of the world, because because I expect they have different views on satisfaction depending on where they are. Exactly. Uh, some countries are traditionally happier, some countries are traditionally miserable, but indeed there are some common threats and regularities we can find. And one of the things you mentioned, uh, richer countries are actually happier. Uh, and uh, comparisons of individual life satisfaction uh, both within and across countries show that growth of incomes uh, has uh, brought uh, increase in life satisfaction. One of the major findings in our region was that even controlling for income, uh, people in our region were less happy than people in other developed or developing countries with sim similar incomes. And finally, this year, in this round, we find that this transition happiness gap has, has closed. What about the nuances of satisfaction and happiness? I mean, what I mean by that is that, you know, there are often cultural or linguistic differences in doing these surveys, psychological factors. You know, what makes a, a Kazakh happy uh, and what they regard as happiness might be very different to what someone in Greece views as happiness. Exactly. This is a very good question, and the very definition of happiness depends on cultural and linguistic uh, uh, legacies and specificities. And this is where this happiness research has converged. We now have standard formulations of those questions which uh, translate reasonably well into different languages, and that's why we call it life satisfaction rather than happiness. And we ask a question whether you agree with the statement that uh, you're satisfied with your life. This question seemed to be reasonably well uh, translated and uniformly understood across the cultures. Now still, the very fact that we ask a question, do you agree with the following statement? In some countries, there is a tradition to agree. And in some of our countries of operation, that actually boosts happiness or life satisfaction levels, simply because people like to agree with what interviewers are asking them. But overall, I think it is also important that we run this survey not for the first time, but for the third time, so we can compare what has happened in the very same uh, cultures. Moreover, uh, this time around, we uh, managed to uh, run the survey in the very same locations. So it's not just the whole country, 
but also the very same city or even uh, rural district where we survey people, thus taking into account the cultural and historical legacies. It's an interesting area of economics, this, that seems to have been growing in recent years. Why such interest in measuring happiness? Economists indeed have started to work on this more actively in the last, uh, I would say, 20 years, even though you can uh, trace uh, first uh, papers, especially one seminal paper by Richard Easterlin to 1970s. Now, why is that important? Economists uh, provide quite a few of recipes for economic growth and development and then get puzzled why these reforms are not implemented. Now, the question is, uh, if uh, we are so smart, why don't we see the progress in all countries? Some countries do pretty well, some don't. Now, the uh, answer to that question is, of course, political economy. Politicians sometimes uh, do things which are not good for long-term growth and development. There, economists start to analyze what drives uh, political choices and why uh, voters uh, support this or that uh, policymaker or politician. And that is where we bring uh, the happiness, life satisfaction, beliefs and attitudes into the picture. People may objectively benefit in the long run from something, but if they don't think so, they will not vote for this. And in that sense, we need to understand why people think about different issues with positive or negative attitudes. Mm, It's all very interesting. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of this then, Sergei. What is it that people are complaining about most in the EBRD countries of operation? Well, uh, we we do run a very detailed survey asking people are they satisfied with the healthcare, with the uh, roads, with public utilities, with uh, different levels and parts of government, uh, with uh, corruption, with inequality. And we see that in principle we see convergence in the sense that uh, people in our countries of operations want the government to focus on the very same thing as people in Western countries, which are jobs, healthcare, and so on, with a big exception of corruption. Our countries have improved in terms of corruption since 2010, but still are much more corrupt than Western comparator countries. And uh, of course, our region is next to Western Europe. Uh, Our citizens see that countries can be less corrupt, and they uh, are actually complaining about corruption quite a bit. And inequality seems to have come out as well as one of the issues, as it is, you know, in part of many global conversations these days. It's certainly come through in this survey. Yes, the survey shows that people uh, think that inequality is too high. Moreover, people say that in the uh, recent years, inequality has increased. Now, I should say that uh, household surveys don't show much of an increase in inequality in our countries over the last uh, few years. But that may be uh, the case because household surveys don't uh, cover the very rich and the very, very poor. And in that sense, uh, we may actually mismeasure the true extent of dissatisfaction with inequality if we just look at income inequality captured by household surveys. So this is where household surveys of beliefs may be even more important. So when people say we are worried about inequality, we should take it seriously. Exactly because, uh, as I said before, politicians who promise to improve situation with inequality will get more support. You're listening to Pocket Economics, the EBRD podcast on how economic ideas help us to change people's lives. We want to hear what you think. Contact us at EBRD on Twitter and on Facebook with the hashtag Pocket Economics. I'm Jonathan Charles. Today we're discussing the state of life satisfaction in our regions with our guest, uh, Chief Economist Sergei Guriev. Sergei, one of the major findings in the survey, you touched on it briefly, is the closing of that happiness gap between advanced economies and economies in transition. But what does that really mean? 
Well, uh, some of this convergence actually has happened because Western economies have become less happy in recent years. Mm. But we also show, and I think it's very important that we cover all of our countries' operation, that for majority of our countries, uh, there was a, a major increase in happiness in the uh, last uh, six years since the previous uh, round uh, of the survey. That doesn't mean that uh, people in our countries are happy. That only means that people in our countries are as happy or as unhappy as people with similar incomes in uh, other countries, in non-transition countries, in non-post-communist countries. And uh, that is something that uh, we observed in Life at Transition survey. We also cross-checked, cross-validated this finding with another survey, uh, Gallup World Poll, which covers about 100 countries. It doesn't cover all of our countries of operation, and yet it is interesting to see to what extent that uh, that has uh, also uh, held uh, uh, in that data set. And we see that, yes, right now, Finally, the happiness gap has closed, not uh, three years ago and not five years ago, but it is around those years when uh, you can no longer distinguish in terms of happiness a typical uh, citizen of a transition country and a typical Western European or Asian with a similar income level. On the face of it, that sounds like quite a significant turning point. It, it is, uh, in a sense, a point where we can say that happiness convergence has been completed. So some landmark has been achieved. Now, transition reforms were very, very painful. As we indicate in our transition report 2016-17, we can still see how dramatic the social and economic transformation was in 1990s. And the fact that it is finally behind us, at least in terms of people's uh, perceptions, people no longer feel to be too stressed or too unhappy living in uh, transition countries. I think it's quite a landmark and we can say that, well, it took 25 years, but finally we can say this gap has been closed. Quite a few of the countries where the EBRD operates, transition countries, they certainly have been growing in terms of the economy. People have been getting slightly better off over the years. Is there a link, do you think, between that happiness improvement and and feeling of money, you know, feeling of having more money, feeling of being better off? Is it direct? Uh, well, it is, not, it, it is not exactly direct and deterministic, uh, but on average, richer people are feeling happier. You know, when uh, that Scott old phrase, Fitzgerald yes. and Hemingway yes, yes. were talking about rich people, they said they're the same people, they just have more <laughs> money. In, in terms of happiness, uh, one of the first findings in this literature was so-called uh, Easterlin's paradox, where he said that, well, it is relative income that matters, not absolute income, uh, in a sense that if uh, both your income, Jonathan, and my income grow by 10%, our happiness levels don't change. Now, since that time, a lot more work has been done with better data, and by now the consensus in the literature is at least until something like seventy or $80,000 per capita, we have almost a linear relationship with log income and uh, happiness. So every 10% increase of absolute income makes people same number of points uh, happier. And we see that in our, in our countries of operation as well. Now, one of the things uh, which is also a very important finding from that, uh, and we see that in, in transition countries as well now, is happiness usually falls uh, with age until middle age and then starts to increase, and people become happier and happier later on. Now, in transition countries, before, that was not the case. If you go back 10 years, you see that happiness just falls with age 
until you die basically older people would be less happy than younger people across across the age spectrum now we do see a turnaround so uh, people who are older than about 50 start to become happier and i think it's also a landmark in the sense that uh, our countries become normal and uh, that also uh, creates the feeling that while being old in a post-communist country is not a great uh, outcome and uh, a great socioeconomic situation, but it's better than, say, 10 years ago. We do see that. Uh, finally, we see this normal U-shaped relationship between age and happiness. Now I know why I'm so happy I'm obviously getting old. Uh, another interesting finding of the report is that immigration uh, is becoming an issue for, for many countries. That wasn't there before in the same way, was it? Absolutely. Uh, this is, this is uh, where we find that uh, our countries become uh, more concerned about immigrants. I should say that our survey was administered in the end of 2015, beginning of 2016. So in many of our countries, people were concerned about the refugee crisis. Uh, and uh, I think uh, uh, these issues, uh, and especially in the uh, policy debate where uh, immigrants and refugees are sometimes linked uh, with terrorism, and our countries have also suffered from terrorism, I think this is a salient issue. And this is why we uh, run those surveys. We want to inform ourselves, but also policymakers to pay attention to what people think. And uh, I think this is why the bank is uh, funding those services, supporting those services, and uh, our shareholders uh, uh, help us to run those services, is because we want to set our priorities right. Because we are not doing reforms just to uh, make reforms. We are working to actually deliver uh, happiness to our uh, public. And in that sense, life satisfaction is an uh, ultimate metric for our work, very much like for the governments and the countries. What does this survey tell us about attitudes towards democracy in these countries and, and, and the market economy? Yes, this survey, uh, when it was uh, first administered in 2006, was already a wake-up call in the sense that in many of our countries of operation, uh, public is quite disillusioned with market uh, economy and democracy. And we see that in many countries we still have uh, about only half of the population supporting uh, market economy and democracy, uh, much less so than we would think uh, 25 years ago. So there is a major disillusionment. Part of that is, of course, driven by inequality and inequality of opportunity. Part of it is driven by corruption. And that's why we, our bank now includes governance and inclusion as part of our transition uh, concept. And uh, our projects will actually contribute to improving governance and inclusion and equality of opportunity. So these are very, very big issue uh, for our region. On the positive side, uh, while we observe enormous hardship in Greece, we do see that Greeks uh, remain committed to democracy. Uh, the support for democracy remains much higher in Greece than in uh, post-communist countries. It's good to hear that in the original home of democracy. Uh, Sergei, thank you very much indeed. It is a fascinating survey full of insights. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. If you're interested, though, in finding out more, you can download the full Life in Transition survey on ebrd.com. You can share your thoughts with us at EBRD on Twitter and Facebook. Visit iTunes, SoundCloud and ebrd.com slash podcast to download previous episodes and remember that reviewing and rating Pocket Economics helps others to find it. Until next time, goodbye.